Welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques. Sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And this is episode 225. Following up on 224, which is the Laodicean Augustine, (laughs) which is completely original uh, to you, as far as I know. And so now we will have to come up with a catchy name for Luther and Calvin here because this is where I'm handing the baton. Don't put that kind of pre- don't be a victim of your own success. No, I'm saying about you guys. I'm putting the the uh, the the baton is now to you. I had my Laodicean moment with Augustine. Now you are in defense of Luther and Calvin. That's like what Axel Rose and Guns and Roses victim of their mistake. By the way, do you know there's a new edition of Appetite for Destruction coming out? I think like this Friday or something. Oh, wow. In in commemoration the anniversary of the release of that album you were a big guns and roses fan i think i think appetite for destruction is one of the best albums of the 90s yeah i mean and i think they're an amazing band they just like kind of like after appetite for destruction they just again like victim of their own success i mean they're kind of or or nuts yeah i mean i think they couldn't they couldn't get it together but axel had some issues yeah but i still think that they're 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 an awesome band they rock they're talented very talented they rock and had range i mean they did a lot of interesting stuff i agree but i thought yes i'm a fan i like guns and roses yeah take me down to the paradise (laughs) that's a good one i like that yeah that whole album is awesome videos were great too yeah i I like welcome to the jungle welcome to the jungle is great where they blow the whistle Mm -hmm. i love it i love all of that Good, fan. good Big stuff. Fan. Yeah. If we, if in the day when we used to have music, we might have ended with a Guns N' exactly. Roses. Exactly. So Guns N' Roses. So on your own, play Guns N' Roses. Play Guns N' Roses. Afterwards. So, uh, yes. Here we go. Here we are. By the way, on Facebook, Todd Littleton has joined us. Hello, Todd, from Oklahoma, who you were recently on his podcast. Yeah. Great episode, by the way. Thank you. I thought it was very informative. So today, we're going to talk about, unlike your Laodicean, a lukewarm, we, we're going to call yours uh, the shaken. Not stirred, Augustine, because James Bond seems sounds so badass when he says he's really ordering a watered down martini and right, snooty right, about it. Right. So we're going to call your Augustine the the weak ass James Bond version, and we will call mine <laughs> <Marty> straight up. <laughs> yeah, instead of me self depression, you don't inform me. I like that exactly. Man. Well, I'm, not, I'm just deprecating. Ah, yes, yeah, so like it's it's not self deprecating. I'm just it's deprecating. deprecating me. Well, I'm actually deprecating your Augustine. Not ah, all right. It's the it's it's not uh, it's not. Um, I like that people are listening to us but talking to each other. That's kind of fun. It's it's what comes out of of a man is Augustine that defiles him, <laughs> uh, which is your lukewarm one. Ah, know, which very good. Thank must you. be spewed. At. I all like right. that you're being. Hey, maybe there was something to lukewarm. You know, Sorry. what <laughs> things do you like lukewarm? What things are good lukewarm? Well, I, I don't like. Usually, I don't want my beer lukewarm, but it's usually served too cold. The so beer should be that should be at room temperature, unless it's like you know you're golfing or something. I like cold. What about I like gazpacho? I like cold soups. I, I can. I, I, I it's it's an acquired taste, but I like a good gazpacho. Yeah, I don't know what else I like lukewarm. I like my stuff right off the grill or the yeah. Oven. So say I, you like your 
I like, I, the, I, your Augustine's the only thing you want lukewarm. Well, I was trying the middle middle Augusta. It just turned out that was kind of that was a maybe unfortunate uh, grasp. There. I like it. I yeah. love. It. I love it. I love it. It's a coin phrase. Though. All right, so we're on this journey here to try to think about anthropology. What is the human role in uh, salvation, and what does what is the nature of humanity? Really, we're at some levels anthropology, and what does the redeemed humanity look like? So we're we're on this journey that we we. We've wandered around in the Garden of Eden, <laughs> and uh, we've we stumbled through the fourth and early fifth centuries. So now we're jumping to the Reformation. So, Todd, or Scott is here. I'm sorry, hi Todd, but Scott is here to defend Luther and Calvin, and he's got a book. Not that they need any defense, no, really. They're, 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 I mean, per- they're perfect. Well, no, they just don't need defense. Yeah. So. Tier Hardy from coming to us from I think Virginia, United Methodist, part of the Crack Crackers and Grape Juice Squad, asks via Facebook, "Wouldn't you rather be strangely warmed than lukewarm?" It depends on who's doing the warming. Exactly. Yeah, I could I couldn't have said you took the words right out of my <laughs> mouth. I, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I God, yes, very good. As in Wesley, yeah. I don't disagree. All right, so let's go. All right, so here we go. This is I want to compare two. I want to give you two. Uh, archetypal perspectives on the question du jour. The first is one of your favorite thinkers, right? That that would be... You? Well, I mean, that's a given, right? Um, the first one is... I should have marked the page. I, I, I intended to mark it, and then I was... This, by the way, I'm thumbing through a book, which is fantastic, called Edward... by Edward T. Oaks. A blessed memory for a few years, I think. Um, yeah. uh, a theology of grace and six controversies. I could not say enough good about this book as I thumb through it. This is a um, stalling tactic <laughs> as I look for the. Oh, here we go. So, okay, let the the sort of traditional Catholic position, the uh, well, the stereotypical sort of armchair oversimplified Catholic position, will be played today by <laughs> by Newman, John Henry Newman, in an excerpt from his lectures on justification. Man did not become guilty except by becoming sinful. He does not become innocent except by becoming holy. God cannot, from his very nature, look with pleasure and favor upon an unholy creature or justify or count righteous one who is not righteous. Cleanness of heart and spirit, obedience by word and deed, this alone in us can be acceptable to God. That is, this alone can constitute our justification. That's extreme. That is, this is, yes. Yeah, that is, I mean, that would be more than, I mean, Aquinas would not have said that that way. Well, I, I know. That's why I was, okay. I'm parsing yeah. this out. These are the extremes. All right. Then the this classic sort of Protestant position will be rep, will be played today by Paul Tillich from the an excerpt from The Shaking of the Foundations. Yeah. Do not try to do anything, or he says justification means accepted, accepting that you're accepted even though you're unacceptable. And this, his passage says, Do not try to do anything now. Perhaps later you will do much. Do not seek for anything. Do not perform anything. Do not intend anything. Simply accept the fact that you are accepted. After such an experience, we may not be better than before, and we may not believe more than before, but everything is transformed. In that moment, grace conquers sin, and reconciliation bridges the gulf of estrangement. And nothing is demanded of this experience, no religious or moral or intellectual presupposition, nothing but acceptance. Yeah, That would be a sort of... And, that would be the polar, the other pole. And Brother Paul Tillich lived that out. <laughs> hey, he, he ran with that one. <laughs> hey, who didn't? You know, who didn't? Well, he did it with gusto. Yeah, yeah I like that. That's what I like about him. Uh, no, you don't like that part of him. Well, I, there's a lot I like about him. <laughs> anyway, so, but uh, I think Luther and Calvin are a little more nuanced than either of those positions. Probably so. Yeah. But probably so. Yeah, yeah. So, 
So in terms of, um, you know, one of the things that's interesting in, in many ways because uh, what brought Augustine initially to his conversion um, is kind of the opposite thing that brought Luther. You know, you know, or Augustine seeking to have some sort of, to be able to have control in his life, to live a life of where he wasn't tossed to and fro by human passion and such, uh, is one of the things, you know, that the breakthrough is when he, you know, he heard that, you know, God's the one that can do that. What's interesting in Luther is that Luther really had kind of freed himself from that stuff, but realized that was not enough. Yeah. And it was an interesting thing. And, and of course, it's in part, you know, Luther's not only his... Uh, and also, Augustine is also like in it. I mean, Luther has an inherited sort of Christian, semi-pretty integrated kind of Christian framework and view of the world, although you could say that medieval synthesis is cracking at that time. But still, there's enough that... Whereas Augustine, I mean, I think... I mean, he wouldn't have gotten to Christianity without the Platonism because the, the Manichaeanism yeah. and stuff that was just so inadequate well, intellectually. I, also, I think really. also the... I think, I mean, the primitive, uh, the kind of Christianity that was on the ground in North Africa had no appeal to him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, there's a sense where... Um, I mean, Luther's brilliance is in realizing, uh, you know, in some levels, his extreme efforts, um, you know, that he, and and I think in late Luther, I forget, maybe it's in the preface, you know, where he talks about that he was a good monk. It's almost like he's modeling a little bit out of Paul's summary of, I mean, I think he's modeling his own life out of Paul's summary as to the law, I was blameless, you right. know. I think that's 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 kind of affecting the way he remembers himself. But nonetheless, you know, one would be hard pressed as by his own words and by others that he was someone who was earnestly trying to find peace with God in the context of what could be called a really confused theological time. I mean, the doctrine of of justification in the late medieval church and how we know we are saved was was really. Um, it, it was really problematic. I mean, I think that's part of uh, the some of the corrupting practices, um, particularly you know the indulgences, was in part um, filling in a gap where the church just had not done good work on this. And, Who was the guy that was the guy? Oh shoot, his name had the every time the the, the Tetzel, bell rings, Tetzel, kept, Tetzel yeah. a soul from Purgatory Springs. Yeah. No, did that rhyme in the German? <laughs> yeah, I, I always not, actually. I think it did rhyme in the German. It yeah. does springs yeah. and rings. Yeah, but I think springen on the ringen. You know, what's really interesting too. Hans on Franz. You know, the thing we heard to pump you up. His uh, matter of fact, uh, the whole controversy ruined him. He became like this. He be, there was a fall. He was falsely accused of an immorality. He lost his job. Matter of fact, uh, he was so devastated. He basically ends up dying a broken man. Luther. Uh, like this is maybe I. Can't. You think he died like cursing Luther? No, Luther wrote him a letter. Oh, that's nice. Have consolation. Luther's nice. See, if Luther had. I mean, I think early Luther was better at being a Christian than <laughs> late Luther. I mean, this was. I think he died. I mean, like most people are. are tough well, yeah, to I think he died. When they he, get old. I mean, but no, I mean, this, this is like, God's way of preparing you for death. This is like fifteen eighteen or fifteen nineteen. He this had when he wrote this letter. So. Yeah, it was. I Second think, half of fifteen seventeen. <laughs> he wasn't writing letters. That, no, so he was no. writing too much. But I think there's a sense here where Luther is. I mean, in many ways, why he, you know, just like in many ways, Augustine helped create the modern Western person. Uh, Luther was a particularly timely his own existential crisis, which I think was something that was happening among many 
faithful people at that time. Um, and certainly the, the late the late medieval church, what was going on in the modern devotion, all those different movements of trying to, you know, really was a hyper-religious age. Sometimes people think, well, the church needed reforming. It did, but it's a mistake not to see that the Protestant Reformation to the backdrop of heightened spiritual concern. Well, and also, I think that is also part of the problem very often, right? It's oftentimes in times of widespread religious fervor that you get devolution, devolving into folk religion, right? It's sort of the, the, the whole like Lex Credenda, Lex Arana, the rule of you know the rule of prayers, the rule of faith. That's not always a good thing. Like the right. prayer of Jabez is a lot of people's rule for prayer, and when that becomes the rule of faith, you know that that so oftentimes that that sort of yeah, but that can become extremely problematic. Yeah, I think a purely secular and Marxist kind of historical read of that time period is just misses so much of it because, you know, even the horrible things, like you said, the very horrible things that happened, the, the radical well, persecution. What things does a purely Marxist secular historian where doesn't it miss a lot? <laughs> like, and what, well, yeah, and, and I'll tell you, though, in the ninth century, they get it all. I mean, it's, 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 I feel like that's such a From, li- from 1948 a- to 1954, they nail it. Fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcasts, projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you. David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Crest, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabedian, Samantha Konauer, and Jim Kirk. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. No, no, but I think particularly, yeah, it's it's funny when you try to look at that as purely political or or uh, or uh, power politics. You miss you miss so much of what's going on really there. So um, Luther, and particularly, uh, how would you describe Luther's understanding? Of, of humanity. Well, I mean, I think that, here's the thing, I think that Luther uh, is, sort of, is, again, Augustine stirred, not shaken. I mean, you take the sort of, seri- you know, the whole idea, of Augustine's idea that after, you know, the fall, you know, what is it like the, before the fall, we're able to sin or not sin, and then after the fall, we're not able um, to not sin, the, 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 you know, the, the, this notion that the human condition right. changes in a way that we're kind of un- you know, we on our own, we cannot 
affect any kind of reconciliation or upward. There's no upward movement that gets us to God. So any kind of metaphor of ascent where we're climbing, these things are, are, are sort of inappropriate. Now, I, I think you could be an Augustinian, right? And not necessarily Newman, right? Like, I mean, Newman has a little bit of a different view of how the sinner is delivered. Right. Right. And that, and, but I think Newman starts with a pretty similar Augustinianism as, as, as right. Luther, right? There's a, you know, so. Well, well, you could argue that, I mean, even though Thomas Aquinas modified, I mean, Augustine's view, I mean, Catholics, Protestants, the Orthodox is a little different, but Western Christians all tend to hold to some view of, of you know, a strong view of original sin. Yeah. And then the, the sense is like in this life, do, is is human is human nature sort of fundamentally changed? Right now, this isn't the sense in which it's not as though there's not the, the a sense of fruit and grace in Luther. I mean, Luther thinks again that free the freedom of a Christian, right? It's a sort of grace and gratitude kind of ethic. But there's always the simo justus, right? At peccata, we're always going to be a conflicted sort of story of sinner and saint. And you know, our, we're, my Calvin teacher Charles Partis is a Calvinist. You repent of your of, of your virtues, you know, not just your vices, because in our virtues, we're incredibly, we know that we're on our good moments, we're incredibly ambiguous. Yeah, I, I think now, again, I think there's parts of Luther that it doesn't mean that you can't, that the presence of grace in the Christian life doesn't change that equation a little bit. You know, in other words, there, there's a sense where, but the idea that it's always, a, it's always an alien righteousness, that's where he differs from Augustine. Yeah, right. That this is something imputed, not infused. That you that you. Although the imputation is can be effectual. I mean, it, just, yeah, I, just, I, yeah. I, it's interesting. Again, the Pietists. I, you know, the early Pietists. I think go back and reclaim a more Augustinian Luther in some of these areas of sanctification. I mean, I, I think again, we talked about. You know, it's I mean, any thinker who doesn't change, and anybody who who's prolific and writes over a long period of time, you know. If they're not changing, they're not. They don't make the list as a great thinker, you know, because there's a dynamic to their their thinking. And so I think the fact that Luther, uh, I mean, if you look at Lutheranism, you can get lots of different branches of Lutheranism, and that's in part because the seeds there are of different ways to go with that. I think this idea of being, you know, both both a sinner and uh, saved at the same time. Which was actually the one that probably one of the most biggest issues that that you know Council Trent repudiated that uh, for a number of different reasons. Because on one level, you could say Trent, that there's the 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 Christian life, right? Is is almost a an oscillation between sinner and sainthood, right? You you, you sort of you become unjustified, right, through your own iniquities, and then through sacramental reconciliation, you this is healed. So it there's a, there's a discomfort with this both and. No, the whole system is set up so when you fall into this state, it brings you back into the other state. Right, right. So the, I don't think, yeah, it's not that the Catholic Church denies it, that that the redeemed do not sin. Right. It's the simo. That's yeah. the simo that's the problem. Like you're either a sinner or a saint in any given moment. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, I and think, frankly, why— Which I think existentially is impossible. I, I would say that, like, just any student of the human condition— Right, just on sort of intuition psychology, Luther, I just think has to be right about that <laughs> because I just well, but I think if the trouble is if if do you become is it a redeemed child and an unredeemed child? I think you're after after you're brought into the after you're into the in Christ, you're always a redeemed child. You never cease to be that. Right, and your identity as a sinner change. I mean, what what your what sin is becomes something different too. And so this is, I'll tell you, I think the essence of what a mature sort of 
Lutheran, kind of Augustinian, straight up Augustine, would be this passage from St. Teresa of Lisseau, late 19th century yeah. Catholic yeah. thinker. And she wrote something. Um, uh, wait, before I read this, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to read a Facebook comment from Mr. Fifteen Seventeen. This is the most Lutheran person we know, Adam Morton. This comes to us, listeners, from Facebook Live. You know, from our Facebook Live feed from Adam Morton, the 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 quintessential Lutheran from Lancaster. Although he's more than quintessential Lutheran from, he's a, more bigger than the region in Lutheranism. Yeah. He says, the trouble with the pietists, they start to ignore how Luther insists this righteousness is substantially hidden from the Christian. Sanctification is perfectly real, but is not really available for me to, to assess. And about the worst thing I can do is look for it inwardly. Yeah, I think that this is an interesting thing that, like, this is something that Calvin adds to the tradition that I think is not great. Like, either, you know, for Luther, you... Your your assurance, you don't look inward, you look to Christ. For Calvin, the assurance, you, you can see the inner testimony of the Spirit. And so you look inwards, and I think a lot of people never yeah. escape it. But I also think this version of Lutheranism is borderline not Christian. I wouldn't say that, but, yeah. you know, but you, yeah. again, that's, now that's not a Laodicean <laughs> statement. It occurs to me that Jeffrey Carter says from California and via Facebook, it occurs to me that we're like photons as Christians, wave and particle, sinner and saint. That is meta, bro. There we go. Meta. There we go. That's pretty good. Meta. So this is what, what, uh, what Teresa says in um, a piece called An Act of Oblation to Merciful Love, which she writes two years before death. And and a prayer to God says, After Earth's exile, I hope to you I hope to go and enjoy you in my homeland. But I do not want to lay up merits for heaven. I want to work for your love alone with one purpose of pleasing you, consoling your sacred heart, and saving souls who will love you eternally. In the evening of this life, I shall appear before you with empty hands, for I do not ask you, Lord, to count my works. All our justice is stained in your eyes. I wish then to be clothed in your own justice, and to receive from your lover the eternal possession of yourself. I want no other throne, no other crown, but you, my beloved. And in another piece, um, which is translated into English as Last Conversations, she says, I cannot rely upon anything, not on one single work of mine, for security. And here, I am very happy to go to heaven very soon. But when I think of these words of God, my reward is with me, to render to each one according to his works, I tell myself that he will be very much embarrassed in my case. I haven't any works. He will not be able to reward me according to his works. Well, then he will record me reward me according to his works. Yeah, what's fascinating about her too is that, I mean, and, and again, this idea of, I think often people forget that, you know, the official teaching of the Catholic Church is grace alone. You know, one of the things that was fascinating about her, she had no consolations of her, of her salvation, her last parts of her life. She died of very painful disease. You know, one of the things about her that's so fascinating too, I mean, the, she's, her nickname's the little, the little, little flower. flower, right? Yeah, and that it's in obscurity, you know, that her love, you know, that God loves her and her obscurity is a testament of the greatness of his love. I mean, I, I've, at some levels, I think she anticipates certain aspects of, of Simone Weil and the idea of yeah. absence. And I, and again, I think this idea of humility, the, the interesting thing is there's a, I mean, the Pope has a confessor. So, I mean, there's a, there is a sense where this idea of, of that Christians, um, and again, this is part of the trouble, I think, with the holiness movement is by, um, this idea of, of, at one level, the Wesleyan movement was a corrective to, I think, some extreme of, 
you know, some of the reformed aspects of losing sight of the idea of sanctification. And the very New Testament, I mean, the Testament, New Testament talks a lot about what our life is to be like in Christ and what it means to live by the law of Christ and what it means to live out love. But the, the, the holding out the possibility that, you know, perfection in this life can happen, it's, it's, it's a temptation to think about that apart from a function of grace or even the, th- the fact that you make it a theoretical reality um, always leads to disaster, always leads you away from grace. And, and again, I would argue, too, the late pietists had the same problem. I, don't th- I think the early pietists, uh, Taller and others, who was a proto-pietist, I think they get Luther better than a lot of the, a lot of the later Lutherans did. But nonetheless, I, the emphasis on there's always, there's always a danger. I agree with you 100%. Luther understood this in his own life. Emphasis on holiness, if it becomes the thing, can actually take you away from the thing. It's interesting commenting on on Teresa and some other stuff. Von Balthazar says that Luther brought face to face face with Scripture came to conclusions that might be considered remotely parallel to those of Teresa. The personal certainty of salvation, the stress upon trusting fiducia as opposed to ascetic practices and other good works, the clear cut pres- preference for New Testament mercy as against Old Testament justice, and in this sense, and once all due reservations have been made, the little way can be regarded as the Catholic answer to the demands and questions raised by Luther. Yeah, and I think there's a really, I, I mean, I think um, it, there's, there's an interesting, I, I can't remember which pope it was, but there was a pope, um, you know, with, as they were working up towards Vatican, um, the first Vatican Council of Trent held a Lutheran view of justification. You know, I, I mean, I think, the, you know, so this idea of the, the trust that, you know, we're try- we and I have talked a lot about this. Our faith isn't, our faith isn't in faith. Our faith is in the object of yes. trust itself, yeah. Well, there we go. So we we can say that the little way of Luther and Teresa is, 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 that's kind of, that's, it's good It's good Augustinianism. I, I like the little way of Luther. That's kind <laughs> the little of, that's, way of Luther. That might be the title of this one. Uh, this could be. It's not Laodicean, but it's, it is the little way. Yeah, and I and again, I think uh, it's interesting. Maybe this could be, we, we'll leave Calvin, but I think you already touched on, at some levels, the, the very quandary of Calvinism that sets up modern evangelicalism. Yeah, I, I think yeah. the what you don't get in, say, Augustine or Luther, this sort of kind of assurance that's that you'll persevere, like— you know that you're you're elect and will forever persevere. Like you could get from Luther, this you you can know this day. You look to the sacrament, the sacramental word. You look to the to Christ, but that's you just look today. Like you don't worry and speculate. Calvin's speculation, I think, turns you inward. Yeah, and that's a really different kind of faith. Well, and and then and then the later Calvinists who start trying to figure out whether or not they're the elect or not. Uh, exactly. That's that opens up another door that. Uh, which always surprises me a couple of things. Why a people like the Reformed movement, which has, believes everything is by grace, why is it historically been such an arrogant? This movement? is this is a, this is a, yet another topic for another podcast. All right, very good. Take care, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Listeners, thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation and banter. Thanks again for listening to New Persuasive Words. 